0: You're listening to Nakedly Examined Music, a podcast about songs and songwriters. My name is Mark Linton-Meyer. Episode 69 is what I'm going to call a catch-up episode. Craig Wedren, one-time leader of the band Shudder to Think, and now a prolific soundtrack artist, was my guest on episode 15, but since then he has released a new album. Now listeners might recall my year-end episode 63, where I got previous guests back just to talk about one new song, and that was definitely the plan here. Craig's new album is called Adult Desire. The music you're hearing right now is a song called Amnesian Wedding March from that. But the song we're going to talk about is called Safe Home slash Fade Land. So it's sort of two songs in one. In addition to sending me the album, he supplied me with a little cardboard holder, kind of like Google Cardboard. that You can put your phone in and he's released an app that presents some visuals in virtual reality while playing some songs from the album. So look on your app store for Adult Desire 360 VR. It is a free application, and get yourself a cheapy VR viewer like the one I described. For more about Craig and the new album, see craigwedron.com. For more about this podcast, please check out nakedlyexaminedmusic.com. And if you enjoy what we're doing, please make your contribution at patreon.com slash nakedlyexaminedmusic. Hello, Craig. Hello. How are you doing? I'm generally
1: very good some work chaos happening, but, you know, it's part for the course, and it keeps
0: it spicy. Well, let's talk about the new album, which I heard chunks of before we talked of last time. I guess it was in the works for quite a while, but now the final version is out and public. Yep. Give us a little background. There's quite a lot of variety on here. Mostly it seems kind of homespun, I want to say, but given that you pretty much live in a studio, that doesn't really mean it all only some of it is acoustic. There's plenty of synths and things. It's just, it seems lighter on the actual drums and lighter on the, the electric guitar. Those are few and far between.
1: Yeah, that's right. Because I spent so much of my time working on other people's projects and composing for film and for TV and having to take direction from other people and working within specific parameters. I love collaborating, but you know, I don't always want to collaborate with people. I just decided to start making a record of my own where it really was whatever I wanted to do, whenever I wanted to do it, however I wanted to do it. And so I really just kept it to me. I mean, there's probably a total of 30 seconds of other people's playing on the record. And it was really just me late night in the sandbox, taking a collection of songs, which were fairly traditional, a lot of which I had begun writing for film or TV projects, and some of which were my own songs that I was just writing. And kind of shattering them against the wall and taking a relatively experimental approach, an experimental studio approach with them. So if I had a new synth or a new sound or something that I just wanted to ram in there, I just opened the floodgates and let myself do whatever I wanted and kept what stuck, which is to say I would try everything. And then if it still felt vital and gave me tingles a week or two weeks or a month or two months later it made it into the final version and it it happened to coincide making this record, at the beginning of making this record, which is called Adult Desire with my turning... 45, 46, and really having a a totally unexpected midlife crisis would be an overstatement, but a pretty reflective mixed bag of year or so. And so I really just funneled it into what I was making. I mean, there's so much about middle age and marriage and family and living in Los Angeles that's this sort of beautiful... And at times, terrifying, bitter, sweet, surreal day-to-day. And that's really what the album's about. So it all sort of went in there, which I think is why it has an intimate kind of inside the cranium.
0: Yeah, let's make this concrete with the song that we're going to talk about, Safe Home slash Fade Land. Is this actually about cancer? What is this about? Well,
1: actually, I had cancer in my mid-20s, but I had Hodgkin's disease, and so I've been in remission, what, for almost 20 years now, 19 years? But it's not about cancer. I don't know that many of my songs are about one specific thing. They wind up being more impressionistic collages of little snapshots that add up to an impression of something, and Safe Home was actually a song that I wrote. I remember it pretty well. I was working on a movie called Thanks for Sharing that one of my best friends, Stuart Blumberg, was directing. And it was very late at night. We were trying out lots of different directions on the music for that, both score and songs. And I think it was about four in the morning and just very simple, uncharacteristically simple, I would say piano, kind of soulful piano thing came out. And it was one of those little gifts of the song, the the safe home part, not the fade land part that came later in the way. Tacting together. But Safe Home was one of those songs that just kind of popped out and it was written and recorded within a couple hours, probably between 4 and 6 a.m. or 2 and 4 a.m. And it's one that just really stuck. It didn't wind up going into the movie, but I felt very strongly about it. And actually, in some instrumental variations of it, I wound up developing for Jill Followay's first movie, which is called Afternoon Delight, which I scored. So it went through all these little phases and machinations and finally wound up. And again, it's a sort of stuck in my craw. And so when it it came time to make the record, I brought it back out to see if I still loved it. And by that point, I had written this a cappella thing that I actually started writing at Burning Man a few years ago. I, I sometimes go to Burning Man with a whole group of friends. And there's this very concussive bass-heavy aspect to Burning Man because late at night, when the old folks are trying to sleep, the sound machines and the DJs and the kids are out in the desert. Basically, a hundred-sound system-strong sound clash with everybody kind of out pulsing everybody else. And from my tent or yurt or whatever I was sleeping in, it had this... Realistically, kind of sound war aspect to it. You know, when you hear, at least in movies, fortunately, I've never been at war, but you hear the concussive sounds of bombs and of fighting and of the jungle and of all the rest of it. And, and kind of in my half sleep dream state, it took on this really crazy, cool baseline effect. And I wound up recording it into my phone and singing this melody, like pretty simple melody over it, which turned into Fade Land. I think I wrote the lyrics there in the desert. Is it the desert? Black Rock Desert? Yeah, at Burning Man. And then I remember right when I got back, so it had been like September or something, I, I sort of put Safe Home and Fade Land together and sent it to my friends from my Burning Man camp just as a kind of a thank you gift for the experience. And it evolved from there and wound up, The Fade Land part turning more into, oh no, cancer, the cancer, we survived the death part is from the safe home bit. And that line is really about, the line goes, cancer, we survived the death, now can we survive the day? I wasn't with my wife when I had cancer, but when I was sick, I was with a woman named Nina Hellman, and we were together for about seven or eight years, and she was in a wonderful band called Cake Like in the 90s, and she really, really was an angel and and helped me through that time. So I guess I sort of just, you know, as one does in song lyrics or, you know, what you do in a film script or something like that, I kind of conflated the two eras and the line cancer, we survived to death, now can we survive today, is really more about how dramatic the mundane day-to-day life of a parent and an adult with adult responsibilities in a 20-year relationship can become, you know, as opposed to something like cancer, which is... Absolutely melodramatic. It's something that's melodramatic and also very exterior. Like everybody has a relationship to cancer. You know, somebody, my grandma died from cancer. Or my, you know, my cousin has cancer. It's very visceral. As opposed to just the kind of getting from A to B, getting the kids up and fed and to school and homework and dealing with payrolls and workflow and also finding time for creativity checks and, you know, working on a marriage these mundanities, which I used to take for granted when I was younger and even kind of look down my nose at, are viscerally dramatic at times. And so it was just sort of, you know, that line kind of pairs the two, the external to the internal, the, you know, like we did the superheroic thing. We survived. I defied death. I defeated it. But now can we just like get the that goldfish out of the tank and into the toilet before our son sees it and has a nervous breakdown. You know, it's, just, it's just a line about that. <laughs>
2: We survived the death Now can we survive the day Numbers lying at our bones
0: Really simple song, instrumentally, as we've talked about, but a few left turns, the first one of which is just right at the beginning, that this cello thing establishes it. I don't know why quarter notes suggest to me, probably to everyone else, that we're in four, but when you actually come in with the piano, it sounds like it's, you know, the first time through the progression, it sounds like it's, you know, the first hit is, what, six beats or something, so it's, actually, it's just because you're in three, not four. But that's not obvious until you played through the piano thing once. So, you know, your mind is readjusting at least. Was that intentional? Or do you already have, even when the cellos are playing by themselves, you've already got three in, you know, the 6-8 time in your head. So this is not confuse you. I wasn't even thinking about that. In fact, you
1: saying that it's in three is the first time I've ever thought of it in the time signature. So it's like ten, two, three, 1, 2. It is in three, isn't it? I've never even thought of it. Um, No, I just did it by feel. So much of this record is I feel it just felt like any more cello, and I would start to get bored and annoyed. And any less cello, it felt like I was rushing to the next bit. I wanted to settle people into it. And I think, like you're saying, there's uh, all over this record, there are just like little kinks, things that keep, hopefully, the listener on their toes. And maybe the cello is one of those things, although it certainly wasn't conscious
0: that intro that turns you around and then uh, you know it's a very traditional nice song I can totally see this going in a movie I really like the the thing at about uh, a minute and six in where you put in the turnaround <laughs> where you've got the uh, upper harmony is moving more than the lower one. Mm-hmm. You know, just a little gratuitous. No, It happens nowhere else in the song, but we need a transition to get from you know back to the verse again.
1: I'm singing so low in my voice or so sort of in my speaking voice. I mean, it's really the range of my speaking voice, which traditionally, especially uh, in Shutter to Think, I was always shouting to be heard over loud guitars. so I would sing very high in my voice. And I always really like the sight still do like the female voice and, and male falsetto so it's hard for me to stay away from that range so I'm sure part of my habitual instinct was to throw in a little bit of high register stuff just something just purely melodic and quote unquote pretty in that turnaround
0: sure well and throughout the song that you use that just you know very lightly for layering and it's mostly the high octave or, or some high harmony toward the end when you're repeating the safe home safe home and I guess so are you adding upright bass or synth upright bass, harmonizing yourself? Like there's some grumbling in the lower register that... That's me singing very, very low. It, it, <laughs> it, it's almost like, it's like, say, boom. all over the record,
1: there are a lot of low harmonies that are almost inaudible that feel and sound like synth bass. But for me, they're more chanting and ceremonial. They don't move a lot. I tend to find with a lot of the harmonies on Adult Desire and, and, and these end harmonies on Safe Home that um, I just find the common tone that can sit under everything and provide some ballast. Mm-hmm. And that's the case with the Safe Home. And there's something both comforting and warm about that deep chest thing it's very earthy but then there's also something kind of spooky and funereal about it and uh you know along with the um, Laurie anderson o superman cello repetition stuff there's this simplicity and pared downedness that goes for me with the meditative theme of the record which again is earthy
0: homey. it's a vocal didgeridoo yeah exactly <laughs> this obviously has a lot in common, especially when you get to the Fade Land part with your, I remember on your website, you had some sort of meditative, semi-religious vocal acapella ceremony, you know, this meditative.
1: Oh yeah, the Sabbath session. It's like choral meditation, improvisation music that I like to
0: do. Yes. So it's got that feel of that openness, especially when you enter that, which lets you, you know, you stay when that comes in, you stay in the, in the one chord, even though it's a cappella for a while. And then after you've repeated it for a while, then you, you go to the minor key and start introducing some strange noises. (laughs)
1: muffled kick drums, things. Yeah, I think those, again, harken back to when I wrote it on the, the playa at Burning Man. There was just insane video game war sounds coming from sound systems. And it was important to me, and throughout the record, it was important to me to undercut the placidity and, again, sort of prettiness and simplicity of the music. I just really wanted to make sure that people kept listening. I didn't want anybody beginning with myself. I mean, obviously, first and foremost, I need to satisfy myself making a record to fall into a lull. And so I kept surprising myself sonically making a record. And, you know, it's totally subjective. For me, I didn't leave anything that felt gratuitous. But then for other people, they're like, why did you put in those annoying sounds over this, like, pretty lullaby? Are you
0: talking about the song The Same, The the Same, which has as its main riff, this... Is this synth blaring louder than the vocal? Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: I mean, the same as at least aggressive right from the get-go with that, like, repetitive synth thing. But with something like Fade Land, which is very pretty and lullaby-like and octella at first, and then these crazy, like, grinding metal disco sounds start coming in. I don't know. It probably has to do with working in film, and everything sonically becomes cinematic to me. And so it, it feels more... It feels like storytelling. It it feels more narrative, even though it's it's non literal. It, it's like dream narrative, and so uh, so I just wanted to cut left a little bit at the end of Fade Land and throw in just those couple minor note implications and some some sounds from the pliers, just to, just as a nod to the inspiration for the whole thing, even though not that anybody would get that.
0: When you reintroduce the uh, we survive the cancer, we survive the death, we the end of the song it's like you're going back to the nice part but now you've it's got this really horribly processed vocal that <laughs> it's become robot craig for the first little bit with actual like clicks of the sonically objectionable variety not that anybody who's not a sound engineer might <laughs> but like the kind that you get when when you've accidentally not put a fade in or fade out on a particular uh sound <laughs> like little remnants i left a lot of
1: wrong wrong engineering choices on the record just it's they worked. There's something about the violence of that. There's something about the violence of a waveform being abruptly or you know, quote unquote, incorrectly cut off that is really can be very visceral to me. And I think I think when I made it, I was probably listening. You know, it was a few years ago already. I think I was listening to um, Jesus the Kanye record. And there's just so much violent production on that record, and uh, it's so punk. So I'm sure that crept in there too. But I was leaving a lot of hard slices, and also playing throughout the record, maybe, maybe less so in, uh, No, no, it actually happens at the end of Fade Land when it cuts right back into um, the Safe Home outro is just hard cut. Traditionally, I used to make sure that all my transitions were so smooth that you almost never noticed that you went from night to day. But there you were. And I was just slamming it right from midnight to noon throughout the record. And I I just like that. It was exciting to me. And so I left it in there including at the end of Safe Home, and vocal processing thing. I don't know. To go back to the Paul Simon, the simple, clean, and clear hi-fi-ness after that whole journey felt wrong to me. Like there was something changed and alien by the end of that stretch, but I definitely wanted to go back into the sweet, pretty safe home portion, so I split the difference. You did both. (laughs) Drug it through the techno mud. You know, did both.
0: Yeah, I like the the fact that these little noises are sonically in the same family as, like about two minutes in, you actually have some little percussion, some little synth percussion. But it's just like, that's not, usually synth percussion is an imitation of actual percussion noise, but this just sounds like the percussion is a little blip of static or something. It's just such a light, nice, light little sound. But it's not pointy.
1: I know what you're talking about and I remember when I put it in. Again, so much of making this record was just by feel and so I would get to a point where I would be like, I don't know, I, I might be starting to feel bored. What about it just needs a little high dinging sound? And I'm not really into using synths to imitate real sounds, synths do their own sounds so well, (laughs) you know, and uh, real instruments do their sounds so well. So wherever I could, I tried to, like, use synthesizers pretty purely, not in imitation of things.
0: Oh, so these are actual cellos? I assume these were synth cellos. Yes, although that's interesting. The synth cellos, I replaced it at one point. I got some real
1: players. Or a real player. I don't remember the situation. I think I, I, actually, I think it might have been Jarek Bischoff. He may have just brought over his upright bass. I don't think it was actually a cello. You know, so I recorded it, and the mechanical feel was just better.
0: Okay, so I totally <laughs> take back what I just said. So it sounds like there's a pass. You know, like when you're doing a film where you're the song itself, and you said the initial recording came out pretty quickly, but then you know, perhaps even months later, you're going back through and deciding, I better screw up the vocal at this point. I better overdub the weird noise at this point because it's just too simple and pure and (laughs) I need to liven it up. So it's like the songwriting itself is telling one story and then you're adding sort of editorial comments on that in a second a production pass.
1: Exactly, like the arrangement and the production is adding another character to the story and then adding Fade Land to basically the middle of Safe Home. It almost comes where a traditional bridge would come, but has nothing to do with the rest of the song. And that, too, was a bionic limb that was added later.
0: Well, even the cancer part, like I thought that might have been where Fade Land started. I wasn't completely sure, because it sounds like enough of a different song and everything stops... And you come in with this new thing with a different vocal timbre to it. In fact, I didn't even hear until you sent me the lyrics that you were saying cancer. I just thought it was like, can we survive the, You know, something? Because you've got, the first time you say it, there's a flanger or something on it. So it's not like the message is jumping out. So you've got three, at least three distinct spaces here in a very short song. It's not like it's nine minutes. <laughs> oh, it's uh, so short.
1: There were times making this record and listening back to particularly the shorter songs on the record that they almost feel like some experimental digital age adult contemporary version of a hardcore record from the eighties where you can really get a lot of work done in two minutes. And I'm a huge fan of not Spending unnecessary extra time, where you stated your purpose, you got your verse, you got your chorus, you got your surprise twist, and then you've got your outro. I mean, that's a very traditional, in a sense, it couldn't be a more traditional song structure on paper. But when you listen to it, it's presented with a more modern sort of experimental. I think presentation, you just stated
0: right? your, your your tagline for the album: a digital adult version of a heart '80s hardcore whatever you. Said. Make that your uh, subtitle. So you released this along with your uh, VR app. So tell the folks, well, I'll link so people can get that. It's free. You get to hear part of the album. Was that just coincidental that that's just a technology you were screwing around with at the same time? Or is this they're intimately connected in the app itself?
1: Well, my last record, uh, my previous record, Wand, had a... 360 interactive component to it. I had written a feature length film around that record, which I paired with my friend Tim Nakashi, who's a wonderful director, to make the movie. He was really, this was 2011 already, so nothing, there were no goggles. Oculus, you know, was a gleam in its mother's eye, and none of that stuff existed. But he had been interested in a few different companies who were doing military applications of VR very early. And he wanted to try applying that to a couple scenes from this movie that I wrote, which corresponded to songs on the album. We wound up making a couple of videos, one of which was super cool and was sort of like a trailer for the larger movie. But it was such an epic, it was a very conceptual, fantastical scenario, the story that I wrote for the record, and the technology was still so expensive and unavailable to consumers that I kind of shelved it mainly for practical reasons. You know, I, I was doing a lot of film and TV stuff, and it just seemed like a like a really epic undertaking to raise all this money and try and go through for something that only 10 people would be able to see because of technological limitations. But cut to a year or two ago when suddenly VR has become very consumer-grade and they're selling a lot of little, very affordable cameras, and I had gotten this little, smaller than an 8-ball, I would say, 360 camera that I was starting to use to film the Sabbath sessions, you know, the vocal meditation music and just kind of messing around with it. I'm not like a big early adopter tech guy, but there was something about this technology that was really interesting just in terms of flipping Mm -hmm. the idea of narrative and viewer perspective on its head. So I was playing around with it and gradually as uh, Adult Desire began to Form. i knew i wanted to do some sort of visual accompaniment with it that was not necessarily the traditional music video format and two i think the marriage of film and music is just they're kind of one in the same inside of me i I can't watch a movie or see something visual without thinking musically about it, and it's tough for me at this point to make music without thinking of it in visual terms. So I knew I wanted to do something, and I was filling pages of notebooks with different ideas, concepts, concepts and approaches. And gradually, when it came time to... When I was close to finishing the record, it just became clear to me that I wanted to do some sort of surrealistic home movie meditation, and I started shooting stuff around the house, like very simple shots, you know, from inside the refrigerator or from the garden's perspective of my wife gardening, just very simple mundane acts that I and my wife and my son do every day, but shot from slightly monstrous startlingly unusual perspectives that you can get with these 360 cameras where you can like put a camera inside of a cactus and then suddenly the green fronds that are maybe two feet tall that come out of the cactus look like they're the size of skyscrapers. And I'm sure this is all very remedial for people who work in VR all the time, but it was kind of my, my first time at the rodeo, so it was all super exciting to me. And so I started shooting these home movies, and I knew that I wanted somehow to incorporate a random aspect to it, like a chance operative aspect to the visual where the edit points in the video... Or all fixed in a given song, but the footage that you see within those edit points is always changing, so you never see the same video twice, so you're combining this viewer's choice or sort of choose your own perspective aspect of 360 VR, where you need to look around to try and figure out what's going on with never seeing the same video in the same place twice, and the chance. Relationships that could be created by the collision of music and randomized video, I thought might be really nice for viewers to plug in their own domestic experience, their own relationship to home, to age, to family, to love, to and it's a story, you know, like, what do you think the story is? What do you think's going on? Is there a story? Is it narrative? Is it you know So it became like this really cool collage that's kind of up to the viewer to interpret, but is definitely a really fun sort of roller coaster experience. And then we're gonna do I found a, a really wonderful programmer coder guy who did all the, you know, basically I went to him, I was like, here's my concept, can this be done? And he said, I don't know, let's try it. So he was super game for the kind of experimental process and now we're going to do some version updates with new footage, different songs, we're just going to keep adding to the sort of kaleidoscope of it and I think gradually it'll add up to a really interesting story by the end of the year.
0: Well, it was very neat, I can't, it was my first VR experience, so I don't feel like I have no point of comparing Just getting the idea that you're supposed to actually look around. (laughs) That that took me a few minutes. I know it takes a minute because, you know, we're used to to having
1: our gaze directed and focused by the director onto whatever part of the story they want us to pay attention to. And what's so interesting about VR is it really just blows that up. It's more There's something more ambient about it. You're creating an environment for the viewer to play in. It's more of a visual sandbox which I think is exciting, especially for music video.
0: You should film a gig with that. That's kind of what I wanted. That's, you know, what I do actual shows. I don't want the cameraman telling me where to look. I don't want to have to look at the, just the guitarist's hand for that long. I, I want to pay attention to what the guy is doing with his kick drum and stuff like that. You want to be able to walk around the space
1: and hang out behind the amplifier and look out at the audience and then stare at the singer. It's It's
0: pretty fun that way. Well, thanks so much for catching up. Glad to see the album done. It sounds awesome. I really appreciate it. It's nice talking to you. All right. Have a great day. That's it. I'm open to doing more of these. It's nice to have an excuse to get back in touch with the guests whom I had really good conversations with the first time. Good to have an excuse to keep up with their new music. I had reached out to Craig when I was doing the year-end episode and he just happened to reply a little too late to be included in that. As with that episode, I had planned on packaging two or three of these together to make an episode, but then Craig just talked so long. And of course, the VR app made really a whole second product that he wanted to talk about so i thought despite the short running time this warranted an episode number and to help justify that i'm gonna put another song here i was a soldier from the album this might be my favorite song in the album it's very short it's the closest to an actual pop song on the album i think so you can look craig up on spotify or itunes or wherever or at craigwedron.com make sure to subscribe to this podcast at nakedly you can like our page on facebook My Twitter handle is at Mark Linsenmeyer. There is a Spotify playlist linked from NakedlyExaminedMusic.com where I add the songs that I'm featuring on the show as I'm doing prep so you can even see ahead of time what I'm going to be covering. And of course, I need to remind you again about Patreon.com slash NakedlyExaminedMusic because that is how you can show that you appreciate what is being done here and that you want it to continue. Until next time, keep on musicin'. This is Mark LintenMeyer signing off. Here's Craig's I Was a Soldier from the new album Adult Desire.
2: Soldier, I'm not growing older. Steam, speed, speech. Page. Everyone after me goes on the highway. Follow the song. Now I am gone My, my, my Everyone talks so run Just out of earshot I was a soldier Not growing older Awaiting orders by the last stone. Mama, wish I was stronger. I was a soldier. Now I am gone, lost in the dream.